Welcome, 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 welcome back to the Stephen Talks Soccer Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is your, it is I, your one and only favorite host, Stephen Talks Soccer. Oh, Stephen, who's talking soccer today again? I'm back in the booth again, back in the building. I have been missing in action. I apologize for that. It has been quite a hectic two weeks. I'm finally on a break week from school, so that is absolutely fantastic for me. Uh, I think it's you know much deserved after all the work I've been putting in behind the scenes, not even just podcast stuff, but just in life in general. So, excuse my absence from you know from doing this on a regular basis as often as I'd like to. It's not been easy. I mean, like I said, I've had a lot of things to do, uh, you know, school related and work related, just in general trying to get things in order. So. Anyways, I'm back again. Enough of the waffle, enough of my ex- excuses and, you know, my needless explanations you guys might be telling me right now as, as I'm saying this. We'll get straight back into the thick of things. I have, uh, you know, many things to cover, obviously. The Premier League, of course, has had many interesting fixtures take place and changes in title charges in terms of who's first place. And then, you know, one team goes up and one team goes down in terms of first and second. The relegation battle has also obviously been interesting with Bournemouth and Southampton and, and uh, you know, Leeds in the thick of things, Everton in, in the thick of things. We will cover all of that and much more. But before I continue and before I go on, please do me the delightful, exquisite favor, please, of downloading, subscribing, and following the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. We are pushing and pushing and pushing and only getting bigger and bigger. And like I said, with more time, when I have more time to do this on a regular basis, the more you know content will continue to come. All the, thing, all the things that I promised before will genuinely be uh, delivered at some point. As of right now, it feels like never, but it will be delivered at some point. Um, but yeah, overall, it's been a very interesting season. Of course, these two games, these two game past game weeks, Premier League match day number 24 and number 25, of course, representing that. We will start off with my team, the Blues, Chelsea. I don't, I don't know how much longer I'm going to say that for. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not going to lose my, my appreciation for the club entirely. Although, uh, you know, we'll get straight into the thinking things now. Tottenham 2, Chelsea nil. We'll kind of do, you know, both games that each team has played, basically. So Chelsea played against Spurs more recently, just this past uh, Sunday. And then, obviously, Chelsea played against Southampton the weekend before and also lost. So they lost both games, 2 nothing against Spurs in the game, like I said, at White Hart Lane or the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And, of course, Chelsea lost at home against Southampton in the week before as well. We'll get first to the Spurs game, the you know, the London Derby. Which... Um, it just saw, uh, you know, a really ga- a really dead game of football. It was not very entertaining for the neutral. I mean, even me, obviously wanting Chelsea to win, but I never expected us to win this game. I don't think Chelsea are going to win many games uh, from now until the end of the season. Um, I don't think that's a managerial problem either. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, give my takeaway from these two games for Chelsea. But this first one, or the one first one I'm covering here with Oliver Skip scoring an absolute screamer. I mean, it's just calamitous lack of communication and, and understanding between Kepa and his defenders. I mean, Chilwell had a stinker this game. Uh, I mean, and, and even Enzo Fernandez, who I love, you know, made a bit of an error giving the ball away straight to the top of the area. I never understand why players do that. I mean, I understand getting rid of, getting rid of the ball and, trying to clear your lines essentially and be able to uh you know rid of the get rid of the danger but the fact that you're kicking it straight to the opposition in a very dangerous area i keep using that word that d were dangerous but oliver skip who scores his first ever professional goal for spurs or whatever against chelsea just it just makes me laugh as a chelsea fan i found it quite comical kind found it quite interesting quite funny as a you know as a whole that that this the this is the game that he scores his first goal again in, and it's against, you know, the North, his, uh, his London, uh, what keeps him saying North, his London rivals in Chelsea in the 46th minute, right at the, right at the return of the, uh, the second half. And as typical as has happened for Chelsea for years now, where they really struggled to come out the second, out of the blocks firing in the second half. It happened with Lampard. It happened with Sarri. 
kind of happened with Tuchel from time to time as well. It's not happening with Graham Potter. But, uh, of course, Chelsea go one nothing down in the game. And at that time, if you know anything about watching Chelsea as Chelsea fans or just Chelsea appreciators or whatever the word is, or just neutrals who watch Chelsea play, you'll know that Chelsea are one of the worst teams. I would argue, I would argue, arguably in the Premier League in the last four, five, six years, maybe even longer than that. Uh, when they go behind, they always, always struggle to get back into the game. I've never seen, it's rare that Chelsea go behind in a match. I want you guys to keep an eye out for this going forward. Yeah. Whenever Chelsea go behind in the game, I want you guys to clock the amount of times they're able to overturn the deficit that they're that they're behind and being going back uh, on to win the match. I had a tweet out that I put out on Twitter literally the other day. I think it was yesterday. Um, after the you know my thoughts on the game and this Chelsea versus Spurs game, and my tweet was, you guys can go follow me. I always say this at Stephen the Don Stephen talks footy on Twitter. I was saying things Chelsea have struggled with and and still struggle with since I became a fan in 2011. Now, the first thing I wrote was not solving our striker curse and goal-scoring issues, checkmark. I think we saw that in this game as well, Chelsea having not that many chances, and the ones that we did have, we were never going to score. Uh, not being able to score more than one goal in a game consistently. Again, that's very true. Chelsea have been known for years, almost it feels like more than two decades now, you know, for not being able to be prolific enough in games despite how much quality they have in the team Chelsea often has in their team without the money they invest in the, in the players and the recruitment and getting the right uh, type of players into the side they don't score more and more than one goal in, in a game frequently uh, keeping hold of a manager longer than 18 months we'll get to that in a second and struggling to break down low block teams and then the final thing is relying on certain individuals in the team to rescue us now all of those things that I said are all true about this game as well and none of, none of those things are foreign to uh, Chelsea's performance in this in this match it was clearly quite obvious that Spurs were going to sit back and, and hold out for the counter-attack as they did what felt like almost all game and I mean if you don't think about Spurs they're not a great team and they've been shocking all season if you don't think that you've not been watching them play they've not been great uh, they literally lost against last I think it was a four nothing or something they got destroyed by some team recently and of course they've been able to bounce back in the last couple of fixtures but they've not been yeah they got annihilated by Leicester literally what six, 16 days ago or at the, at the you know the game time or any of the game it would have been 15 days ago so it just shows you the Spurs team is not that fantastic. I mean, Harry Kane scoring again, just like he did in the reverse fixture. Uh, he continues to up his Premier League goal-scoring tally, which is fantastic for his individual stats. I mean, it's a big win for Spurs, of course. I mean, beating Chelsea always is a nice thing. Chelsea haven't lost the Spurs at their new stadium since they've Spurs, since Spurs have switched to that new stadium, which is just an even more daunting stat for Chelsea fans and myself alike, also being a Chelsea fan as well. Now, my takeaway from the game is, and from the other game too, we'll get to the Southampton game kind of quickly, kind of talk about both these games at once, because in the Southampton game, the one that Chelsea lost last weekend, or two weekends ago, I guess, uh, where Prowse scored a free kick, I believe that was also, that was in the first half of that game. I mean, what you can see with Chelsea is that they, once they face any sort of adversity, they completely capitulate and they crumble. And Chelsea have a history and are, and are known, I've watched them for years, obviously, and are known for that when they go behind in games, they never ever, they rarely, I say not, never is a bit of a, a stretch, but they rarely overcome deficits in matches. They, they rarely overcome adversity in matches. They don't have that fire, fight back, that firepower to go behind in the game by multiple goals or just one goal or even any type of opportunity or whatever, a, a man sent off and be able to, you know, to, um, so rally back and to galvanize themselves to go on and get something out of the game. It's rare that Chelsea do that. And that's for many, 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 many reasons that I will get to, you know, I'm probably, I'm probably going to do a separate, I'm actually going to write this down now. I will do a separate episode talking strictly about Chelsea because I, you know, as obviously this is, that's my club, but there's so much to mention. There's obviously in the headlines every single week at this point, we're having, hearing a news story about Grand Potter every single week. Uh, 
But I will do a full episode on them. I got even I got some other Chelsea fans on too. We'll have a full proper discussion about all of this. But uh, just back to these two games. I mean, Chelsea were poor in both fixtures. I thought. I mean, Southampton game. Chelsea created a lot of chances. They probably could have at least gotten at least a goal in it. But if you know anything about who's playing up, up front for Chelsea, no goals are ever going to come from that guy. Kai Havertz is not the number nine. We've seen this experience experiment already uh, with uh, what's it called with what was it Thomas Tuchel who tried to play him there. Same thing with Lampard a little bit as well. I mean, he's. He's a luxury player that can't be put into a team like Chelsea who's that haven't been fully assembled yet. And uh, if you want my verdict, I get my takeaway on the game is that Chelsea's lack of goal scoring issue, or, you know, lack of uh, what's, the, what's the word potency and efficiency in front of goal is down to many, many, many factors, you know, ranging from the fact that they obviously these players are completely brand new to each other. We bring in new players from the summer. We have, which I would argue would be was was terrible recruitment at the time. We brought in players that we should never have brought in. And then you're asking a manager to come in midway through the season after being, you know, taken away from his old club where he was thriving and doing excellently well at Brighton before Grant Grand Potter to come to Chelsea and ask him to work miracles at this Chelsea team and assemble a squad of completely new faces, new languages, new cultures, new backgrounds, new different styles of play. All of those things coming together and expecting things to kind of hit the ground running and, and flourish is absolutely absurd in my mind. And if you're wondering what my take on this whole situation is, because I'm seeing that, you know, recent articles have posted that Potter's underneath pressure and if he loses against um, Dortmund and Leeds, uh, after those two games, they'll assess when we see where he is and you know they'll probably give him the sack now if you're asking me i think that would be the stupidest decision i've ever heard if uh, we were, the board were to do that i wouldn't understand why chelsea would want to sack him i know the fans obviously want that because the fans are deluded i think chelsea fan base is one of the most toxic and stupid fan bases i've ever been a part of arguably ever uh, i don't support most of what the chelsea fan base thinks um, I normally listen, listen to people who are neutrals and have no dog in the fight to give me their opinion on the subject because when I feel like you can ask Chelsea fans about the situation, oh, it's Sacrim Potter, Potter out and Potter out. And what people don't realize about football, especially nowadays, is that um, being reactionary gets you nowhere. And I feel like people judge games way too, way too or they judge players and managers and just in things in, in general way too quickly. There's not enough time to give uh, perspective and, and uh, nuance to things. They're coming to a conclusion instantaneously. And in life, if you know anything about being a human, which you probably are, because you are a human yourself if you're listening to this, you know you need to be a lot more patient and a lot more... Um, what's the word? You just need to be a bit, a bit more reserved with your comments and your thoughts and your and your opinions on things and let th- let things pan out before you come to a full conclusion. Chelsea fans have already written this this appointment off before it's even happened. And to be very honest, to, to be very honest to Chelsea fans, they're not entirely wrong because, yes, the results have been poor. I agree. But I don't think results really matter this season. I think given how terribly the preseason was for Chelsea, this was expected. Given how, you know, how poor, you know, Chelsea went into the Premier League season with Tuchel when he was obviously, you know, still manager at the time was was expected. I mean, you look at all of these, the, the, the fact that we're changing ownership, we nearly went into administration. All of these things that happened in one, in the span of 18 months, you can't expect the season to go well at all on the field. No matter who's coaching the team, whether that's Graham Potter, you know, whether that's Eric Ten Hag, congratulations to United for winning a trophy for once. You know, whether that's, uh, you know, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, whoever, Ancelotti, it doesn't matter who it is, who you can think of in your mind, they're going to need some proper, proper time. And I know for me personally, if I see Chelsea sack Potter, my, uh, you won't hear much from me on Chelsea anymore is what I'll say. I'll be watching them from the sideline. Yeah. As a, as the fan that I am, but I won't be anywhere near as passionate and as, as in, as in love as I have been or would have been, you could say, if we, uh, if we get rid of him, I think that would be a very childish and foolish decision. 
Now, from a Spurs perspective, this is a very good result. Obviously, I mean, Tottenham, like I said, are picking up some decent form since Conte got ill and he's been having to, you know, put his uh, number two in his place. I forget who was the name of the manager. It is, uh, it was, uh, I don't remember his name now, but the, the Italian guy that replaced Conte, Conte's number two, essentially. Um, uh, I don't remember now, but regardless... Really good performance for Spurs. This is what they're going to take a lot of pride and joy from, and they'll definitely look to build on this going forward. For Tottenham, they play against they play against Sheffield United next in the FA Cup, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they do away from home, and then they play against Wolves again next weekend in the Premier League. So again, that would be a very good game of football overall. But we'll move on now. I'm done, I'm done giving my Chelsea verdict. Like I said, you know, I would. Genuinely, genuinely want to keep the manager. I think it's pointless to sack two coaches in the same season. And to be honest, Potter probably should have come in at the end of this season and let someone else take over Chelsea from now until from when Tuchel got sacked until the end, until the end of the year. But he chose to leave Brighton right at the time and he was literally peaking with them and then came to Chelsea at the same time. And I mean, he should have said, OK, I'll come to Chelsea, but at the end of this season and then I'll see what I can do with the preseason, a proper setting up of what I'm trying to implement going forward. Uh, I see people comparing Potter to Ten Hag and I'm saying, yes, Ten Hag has done an excellent job at United. It can't be denied, but he's had all the time in the world going into this because he was literally he knew he was going to have the job before he even got appointed. And this obviously happened in the summer of last year. He was able to know, you know, what he wanted to bring in, the ideas and the kind of players he wanted to bring in, what his strategy, what his tactical game plan would be, you know, the kind of recruitment he wanted for the team. And of course, you know, it bared fruit as they were able to beat Newcastle literally yesterday, I believe, in the EFL Cup. So Shows you the levels, and with Chelsea, they're so trigger happy and so sack and hire esque. And if that if that continues to happen, I, as a person with all those values of being very patient, very pragmatic, and very um, stoic in my in my reaction to response to things before I make a, a very impulsive and rash decision, I don't enjoy or appreciate this type of style where we get rid of managers every you know four or five months, expecting things to just change because of a, of a new manager bounce. That's terrible. You need to build. That's what teams do. Look at Arsenal being eighth, eighth, and now currently in first place. We'll get to them next in a second. Shows you what it is. I mean, Arsenal, they played against Aston Villa last weekend. They won 4-2 away at Villa Park in a game where they were definitely, deeply, deeply, and strongly tested from a very good Aston Villa team coached by former Arsenal manager himself, Unai Emery. It just shows you the levels in the game. I mean, for Arsenal, they've, they've improved drastically. They look a completely different side now. That They have this hunger. They have this belief. They look like Napoli in this area where when they concede a goal, they're almost guaranteed to score right after you scored. They get back, get themselves back into the game and give themselves a, a, a very, very well concerted effort and response to going behind and I think when you see that you know that that's a sign of a very very good team Real Madrid did it recently in, in the Madrid derby in the in Madrid versus Atletico derby uh, at Santiago Bernabeu again this weekend same thing where Madrid went behind and literally what like 10-15 minutes later they bring on a couple new players and boom the, the youngster comes on and he scores the equalizer so you just need that hunger you need that belief and I think that I mean, just quickly back to the Chelsea point I was making before. With Chelsea, you can tell that they don't have that. The players experience one piece of adversity, one setback, one minor setback in the game, and boom. You know they're not going to score any goals to to get back, get themselves back in the game. And you know that mentally they're rattled and are very susceptible to conceding more and more and more and more. With Arsenal, they did concede two goals in this game, but they did score four. And that shows you that they can win games ugly, they can win games pretty, they can win games convincingly well. Uh, with this game, obviously, Saka scoring... In the game to cancel out Watkins' early goal that wasn't scored in the fifth minute. Good goal from Watkins, although some shocking defending 
might add from from Arsenal there, I thought that could have been a lot better handled than it was. But I mean, who cares? Arsenal ended up winning. Coutinho then making it two uh, one for the for the villains, and in the second half, it was an all uh, all Arsenal onslaught, which we're seeing from them on a regular basis now. I mean, this game was a game of of Arsenal showing their goal scoring ability. Of course, you had. Uh, was it Jorginho who scored a goal to make it 3-2 for Arsenal? And it was a considered an own goal off Martinez, but it's an absolute screamer from Jorginho, which we didn't see once in his Chelsea career. Of course, he leaves to go to his our, our London rivals and he becomes a boss all of a sudden. Although he's not been that great there, I'll be honest, he still looks like the same player that I watched play for Chelsea for many years. Um, but I think he's definitely fitting into that system a bit more because it's more well-rounded and it's, again, coached by a manager who's been there for a while. So he knows how the team operates and where to put the players into the system and get the best out of who he has at his disposal we see the same thing with martinelli's goal in the 90th minute and that goal was just comical where the keeper comes out and it's uh you know a goal that he uh, and and net that he just taps it into basically um but yeah that's pretty funny i mean arsenal winning 4-2 convincingly well there after being uh, what i thought was going to be a comical weekend for them and that kind of go behind and lose some ground in the title race as they lose to villa in a way that they probably shouldn't have especially against a manager that knows them very well because he was obviously coach coach arsenal before in the past but really good game from Arsenal as a whole showed them showed us what they're worried what they're made of and they continue to prove us wrong or prove me wrong and the doubters wrong because they lose against City then they go on and win this game and the next game which we'll get to right now when they beat Leicester one nothing it was just just as impressive yeah they go to go to the King Park Stadium they win one nothing again a game where no team was really that was that great but Arsenal found a way to grind out a result you could see just how happy Arteta was at the end of the game but he knows we all know how much it means to him and Arsenal fan base to go on to win this game Martinelli with a good goal again you know continue to find himself on the score sheet great ball from Trossard who's finally finding his feet for Arsenal and, and continuing to be more and more of a live wire in the side on a consistent basis. Uh, I thought that Leicester without James Madison is are basically nobody. They have nothing really about them. If they don't have Madison, they're not that great. That's what I've been saying for months. And uh, I think with this Martinelli goal, it's just another step in the right direction for Arsenal, who brought on every defender possible. Not every defender, but they brought on Partey for their attacking mid in Odegaard. They brought on uh, Tomiyasu for uh, Zinchenko. And you could tell that they were definitely eager and keen to uh, to lock up and set, you know, kind of uh, shut down the door and not conceding another goal. But if you know anything about Leicester City, I mean, they're either they're extremely hit or miss side. And in their last game before they played Arsenal, they had lost to Manchester United 3-0. And again, showing you the levels. I mean, United absolutely battering Leicester when they played uh, Leicester at home in the last game at, in the, at Old Trafford. And again, Leicester, against the bigger sides, are always going to struggle. They don't have that consistency, that stability, that unity in the team. I mean, they seem a bit connected with, with Rodgers, and all of a sudden they don't like him, and they love him, and they don't like him. And again, another coach who probably won't get sacked because of the job that he's in, and nobody's expecting Leicester to be you know, outrageously good necessarily because of all the players that they've sold and the fact that many teams around them have improved to such a level where they've kind of decreased in quality you know, as the season goes on, especially when their best player isn't playing and he's not available in Madison to link up with Ianacho and be the Madison and Ianacho we know they can be. Um, we'll move on to the next game. Which would take place, which is Manchester City's games. We'll get to their, to their games now. City played against Bournemouth and won 4 1. Very, very easy and comfortable victory for Manchester City. Again, a game where you, did we, anybody expect any other result than a big, comfortable 4 1 win for Manchester City? I don't really think so. I think we all knew City were going to win this game, but the question was just how many, never, what if. 
uh, 4-1 could have been 6 or 7 or 8-1 City. I know the, the XG did not show that in terms of expected goals, but City were extremely dominant. They had three big chances. They took their three big chances and they created even more than that. That could have been almost moments, you know, the half chances that could have been capitalized, you know, chances for um, Alvarez, chances for Foden as well, who had a really good game this game. Uh, uh, Foden, he released that out to me. thought he was quite impressive. Um Overall, I mean, this Manchester City team, I think they are slowly finding their best 11, their best lineup to play, especially Premier League vis-a-vis Champions League. They weren't that great in the Champions League against Leipzig, uh, Manchester City a couple of days ago before this game took place. But uh, they definitely proved in their performances or performance against Bournemouth, a team that you expect them to batter every time. I think Bournemouth have lost every single time they played against City since this fixture has commenced. So it just shows you that there was always going to be one winner historically. And that history continues to be proven in in present modern day. For Manchester City, they in their last fixture that they played, they played against uh, Nottingham Forest and they drew 1-1, which was a huge shock, obviously, because, you know, Forest is never a team expected to beat Manchester City, but they've now drawn with Chelsea at home. Nottingham Forest, they've now drawn with Manchester City at home. And they've also beaten Liverpool at home. So that's just some absolutely fantastic results for Forest. City were obviously extremely disappointed having to go two games in back-to-back draws and 1-1 versus Nottingham Forest and then 1-1 against Leipzig, like I said, in the Champions League. And then, of course, on the weekend, this past couple of days or just a couple of days ago, they wanted to make sure that they really came in with a bang and with a point to prove. And they did that again. I mean, City continued to trounce teams when they want to and they had that ability to just really, really rip two teams and, and put the sword to them almost, you know, naturally. Uh and they're just a team that, I mean, did they even cover this game? I don't think I covered this game, the City versus Arsenal game. Maybe I missed that many. But the point is, I mean, they beat Arsenal 3-1 with a convincing victory as well. They just have this running form. Where they, if, they, if they're on it on the day, they're basically unstoppable. And if they're not on it and they kind of shoot themselves in the foot, which is often what happens when they concede goals and they lose or they drop points in games, it's because of the fact that they, you know, they overthink and overcomplicate the system. I think Guardiola has incorporated that himself. We've seen that before from him. But when they get it right, they get it really right, as they did against Bournemouth. So very, very comfortable victory for them. Like I said, for United, we'll move on when we come back from the break to Manchester United, Newcastle in their last game. And of course, they beat Barcelona in midweek. We'll talk about that. And as well as the fact that they also played against Leicester, which we've mentioned before. But when we come back, we'll be looking at United's fixtures in their last three games or two games or so. And much more when we come back on the Stephen Tuck Soccer Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the EFL Cup final that took place between Manchester United and Newcastle United. Newcastle United in the final for the, well, you know, they're in the final for the first time in what feels like forever. I think since the early 90s or whatever. And it could have been their chance to win a trophy since 1960 something. And for United, obviously, we know they haven't won a trophy in the last six or seven years. And they finally pick up their first piece of silverware as they beat Newcastle at Wembley Stadium. Two nothing thanks to goals from their main man, their most key and prized possession in their team, Casemiro. And of course, Mr. Finger to the Skull, Marcus Rashford, who's continued to score goals time and time again. I think they gave him credit here in Fop Mob. But I believe they might have given the goal as an own goal to uh, off um, Karius, who, again, didn't even have that bad of a game from what I understood. But it's pretty funny to see that he had to go in net because Nick Pope had got sent off in his previous fixture. Um, I mean, United were always going to win this game. I told every United fan I know that, you know, the trophy is definitely going to be theirs. They were all skeptical and rightfully so. I mean, United have seen themselves capitulate in finals on various and numerous occasions since they've last won a trophy. And they've been in many, they've been in many finals and since then to do so. But a really good game from them overall. A great victory for United who are continuing to be 
much more of a threat and much more of a consistent big side in England and taking back that that uh, that throne of saying, you know, we are one of the biggest teams to be reckoned with on a week to week basis. They look like they're not going to lose anymore. And I think that that's definitely the the uh, the step in the right direction for them and the right mentality that the players need to go on and say, you know, every time we play, we step onto the pitch, we're expecting at least a draw and minimum a draw and, and you know, almost guaranteed that we should get three points. And their team is not even fully constructed and fully, um, fully been actualized or created in terms of all the puzzle pieces being put together. But what they have so far, what Ten Hag has done, what he has at his disposal has been excellent. You saw the same thing against Barcelona in midweek where they were losing one nothing. It's what I'm telling you about big teams. When they face adversity, can they bounce back and recover? Yes, they can. Manchester United come back, come back from a one nothing deficit thanks to a penalty in this game. That was given to them um, after a foul from Bruno Fernandes on Alejandro, Alejandro Balde in the box. And then, of course, Robert Lewandowski, as we call him, he scored, stepped up and scored. I mean, you're kind of very, very lucky to go in. De Gea actually made a fairly good, got a fairly good hand onto the ball, but it still went to the back of the net for Barca. I was kind of worried, thinking, I'm not, not like I want United to win. I have no dog in this fight. But I was thinking, oh, United might get out of the competition now. This might send them away and blah, 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 blah. But no. United were able to come back into the game. Some great combination play from Bruno Fernandes and Fred. I mean, Fred took it as a brilliant finish on his right, on his weaker right foot, making it 1-1. Of course, then Anthony scoring to put the dagger into the game and, and sending United back through ahead on, on aggregate, making it 2-1 in the game and 4-3 on aggregate for Manchester United with a really good left-footed finish, which is classic Anthony if you've watched him enough. And if you know me, I love Anthony. I've always loved him. I love him. I let him have his jersey for a reason. I think he's a fantastic footballer. We saw that the little tricks he did against uh, Dan Burney made him look like he was doing the Frankenstein dance on the pitch. That was pretty funny, but you just know how good uh, Anthony can be on his day uh kind of the Leicester game of course the United won that three nothing just continuing their great one of form that they've been on I feel like they've been unbeaten the last 14 or 15 games and have won I think 13 or 14 of those uh same thing with this game where they beat Leicester at home three nothing with Rashford scoring twice and Sancho scoring once as well um we also have the uh their next game being against West Ham in the FA Cup, which will be a good game, but you expect them to beat West Ham given the, again, the exceptional form that they're in and they're playing at home against a team that always capitulates and crumble against the bigger sides, especially away from home and David Moyes' a lack of ability to beat big sides with West Ham away from, away from the London Stadium. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, moving on to Newcastle now. Newcastle, they played against United. We won't talk about that. Obviously, that game already passed. For Newcastle, they'll be disappointed to lose. I mean, you could see Bruno Guimaraes' disappointment in his loss in losing to United, obviously, on the pitch. He was very, very sad, and it made me sad to see because I love Bruno Guimaraes. I think he's a, a really good player. Of course, they lost their last game in the Premier League as well. Newcastle 2-0 to Liverpool, thanks to Darwin Nunez and Cody Yakpo scoring for Liverpool. Um... Again, Liverpool actually were quite good on the day. They looked quite impressive. I thought Liverpool gave a very good fight to themselves. And they look a lot better than we expect them to look as they've been looking all season. Liverpool have been quite uh, uh, poor this season, despite sitting seven, uh, seventh place in the table. They've not been that great. Um, but regardless, you know, Newcastle lost that game and they were definitely, definitely disappointed to lose two games back to back by the same scoreline against teams that they're they're really, really fighting with this season in the United and Liverpool. They lost the game. Of course, against Bournemouth, but sorry, they drew with Bournemouth 1-1 before that as well with Almiron scoring in that game. Again, just showing you that Newcastle haven't had that same rub of the green that they've had before earlier in the season. And it's obvious that form is kind of fading. We expected this to happen. I expected this to happen, that they wouldn't continue that same consistency that they had earlier in the year. We knew they kind of tail off a little bit. They're currently sitting in fifth place and they're, what's that, what is that? That's uh, my math off, 16 points behind first. At one point, Newcastle were second place, I believe. Or, and they were definitely looking at one of the main teams to challenge to win the league at, at one point. It shows you how quickly things can change in a matter of moments. Of course, they have a game in hand. Or and two games ahead, depending on who you're looking at in the table. 
on the teams above them, but overall they've not been the same Newcastle team we've seen, which is fine. They've been easily the best side in the Premier League. On their day, sometimes they've really, really blown me away. I think that they're up there for sure with being such a very, very exciting and riveting team to watch. There's so much energy, so much life, so much purpose and determination and not really using the most uh, talented group of players, but still getting some sort of quality and some sort of rhythm and, and, and sound and beat out of that team. And from that perspective, it's been a fantastic season. As long as they can keep finishing at least in the mid, you know, top five, top six, there's no issue. And I think they'll probably do that given how good they've been. They'll play against Manchester City next in the Premier League, Newcastle away from home, which only gets more difficult from them as they play Liverpool obviously two weeks ago then they played against United yesterday and now they play against City next weekend so it only gets a bit more tricky for them from here but I think they'll find a way to weather the storm and continue being the Newcastle team that's been such a huge you know revelation and just a nice sight to see as, as opposed to also always seeing the same always seeing the same big teams thrive and succeed weekend in weekend out um, on to Fulham now Fulham played against Wolves Again, a good, really good game of football. And I mean, Wolves have been a team that have just really, really had a huge uptick in form. And, you know, Lopetegui comes in and they don't, they don't look like the same Wolves team that have been so diabolically bad all year. Fulham are not an easy side to play against, especially at home. Fulham have been, Fulham have been really, really good this season, particularly at Craven Cottage. And Marco uh, Silva has done wonders at Fulham right now, making them look like one of the best teams in the league on their day too. They're really, really difficult to beat. They have such great chemistry and understanding and, you know, such a purpose in their side. Even without Mitrovic, they don't even need Mitrovic all the time, which tells you how much they've improved because at one point Mitrovic was the only guy we'd say, oh, if it's not Mitrovic on the field for Fulham, they're not going to get any any points or pick up any positive result from the game. And nowadays it's like, okay, it doesn't matter who Fulham play, the team looks good enough to go on and give give the other team uh, a fight as they did to give the team a, a couple questions to answer. And they did so, obviously, Anthony Robinson setting up uh, Manor Solomon later in the game to cancel out the goal that was scored early in the game from new signing Pablo Sarabia from PSG to go play for Wolves, obviously. And this, this Wolves team has a lot of quality. You're looking at Mateus Cunha, who's a very good player, you know, from Atletico Madrid. They signed him permanently. Raul Jimenez is slowly picking up the form that he used to have a pre-injury. Pablo Sarabia is a proven, proven Paris Saint-Germain player, played for Sporting as well and was excellent for Sporting in the Champions League. Mateus Nunez is an excellent player. Ruben Neves, I don't need to say anything more. You know how much I like him. Mario Lamina, if you know me, I loved him since he was at Southampton and, and at Juventus, a Champions League uh, finalist player himself. Just full of quality, this team. Star-studded team. Star-studded. It really has a lot of quality. And with the ma- the right manager, they, c- they should really be you know, looking to, to start cooking things up going forward next season for sure. I think this team is a team to be reckoned with for sure, and they have all that that right backing and the right management from a from a coach who's again extremely tactically uh, astute in Yuli Nopetegi, who has so much experience at the high level in football. And to be at Wolves like that is really, really it's beautiful for Wolves fans and the football league and Premier League in general to see that a coach of his caliber is at Wolves, who's currently sit in fifteenth place, I believe. Is that fifteenth? Yeah, with twenty four points. So really impressive stuff for Wolves. In Fulham, in terms of Fulham's other fixture, they played against Brighton and they won 1-0, which is a really good win. Again, Manor Solomon scoring in that game and late in the game to win it for for Fulham. Really big goal from Solomon. Great finish that was. Again, class, 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 class player. Really underrated. Came from Shakhtar Donetsk. I'm hoping Modric can do the same thing for Chelsea. But... uh Really good player coming from Shakhtar Dines to Fulham and just says, again, when he plays, he looks like a, a man that's always guaranteed to be somewhere near the goal, sh- the scoring sheet, the goal sheet, uh, whatever the term is, the score sheet, and at least setting someone else up or being in, in the mix in the thick of creating goal scoring actions for his team. Beating Brighton again is no mean task, especially at the Amex Stadium. Brighton again at the season have also been exceptionally good. 
And uh, for Fulham, their form has not really tailed off too much. They haven't lost in the last four or five games, which just, again, shows you how good they've been. Uh, we'll move on to the next team. We spoke about Liverpool kind of briefly. This They played against Madrid and got absolutely annihilated. They play against uh, Crystal Palace and drew 0-0. That's the most recent game that they just played against or played in. And it was a not really great 0-0. It had no real moments of quality. Maybe that one chance from Salah that probably should have gone in. I mean, at Sellers Park, Crystal Palace were meant to go on and give a fight. And they did. Palace had their chances. They had their opportunities to to take a lead in this game at some point. But they never did. Liverpool, of course, with 0.90 expected goals. You know, averaging at least a goal was expected for them to score in this game. And like I said, if it wasn't for the crossbar and Salah kind of lowering the ball or aiming the ball a bit lower than he did, it probably goes in the back of the net and it's one nothing for the Reds. Uh, again, Cody Akpo not really impressing me that much. I know he had a chance he could have scored as well after a really good pass from Salah to set him up, but Yakpo missing the opportunity. Jota not having a, that great of a game. I mean, Liverpool is they're just such a weird, in this weird malaise right now. Do they sack the manager? Do they not? I think Klopp will leave at the end of the season. That's generally my opinion and my, my thoughts on that. I think that, uh, uh, at some point, he'll, he'll realize, you know, this can't continue anymore. And I think he's going to want something different. Maybe, I don't know where he'll go next, but I don't think he'll be at Liverpool for much longer. That's my honest opinion. Not that I want it to happen per se, but seven years at Dortmund, seven years at Liverpool. That's how I see it. And uh, that's my that's my thoughts on the game. I mean, from Palace, is the great, great draw. I think Palace need this kind of result because they've not been great Palace recently. They've kind of struggled in terms of their most recent games. You know, a series of three draws in a row. It's not terrible. They sent 12 plays comfortably mid-table right now. Uh, it's good enough to stay where they are. But um, but uh, for Palace, you know, there's a lot of things to improve upon. And they're just one of those teams where they have so much skill and, and class and, and just nice exciting bright attacking footballers but not enough consistency in their performances and they tail off in games a bit too much they don't keep that level of of class in their game for 90 minutes it normally lasts for about 35 40 minutes and it's at to drop off whether that, that 35 40 is at the end of the game or it's at the beginning it doesn't sit or it doesn't stick for the whole 90 minutes and then most games in Premier League especially nowadays with how competitive it is you need to have that quality shining and raining through the entire game or else you're probably going to lose some ground in the match and either concede or just simply lose the game as a whole but thankfully three jaws on a bounce is not bad their next game against is against Aston Villa a game you expect them to, to at least get uh, some sort of a result from and for Liverpool they play against did I say it already? They play against Wolves next at home, which will be a very, 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 very good game. Uh, Wolves love a game against Liverpool. And if you know the, anything about Liverpool playing against Wolves, Wolves had just battered them 3 nothing only a couple weeks ago. So we'll see if that happens again. Liverpool lost their last game at home against Real Madrid in Champions League 5-2. So we'll see what Liverpool can do because they've not been great recently. They've won a couple, then they've lost a couple, then they've drawn a couple. It's a weird mixed bag for them as well. Uh, moving on to Brighton and Hope Albion. We spoke about the game against Fulham. And they were supposed to play, I believe, against Newcastle. But, of course, that game got postponed because they uh, that game had, uh, what's it called? That game was Newcastle playing against Manchester United. And a game against um, Crystal Palace. I think we spoke about this already, but it finished 1-1. Just for a kind of a reminder in that little South Derby with the, uh, between those, those two sides in Brighton and Crystal Palace. The next game we're going to shift gears to is now Sean Dyche's Everton, who also played recently. Everton versus Aston Villa finishing 2-0 to the Villains, who won 2-0, of course. 
good performance for the villains. Again, a great, 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 great game for, for Aston Villa, who really managed the game really well. And you can see they have this ability to score goals now. But I think Villa used to struggle with putting the ball in the back of the net. And they look like a team every time they play, they're probably going to get at least a couple in the score sheet. So you better be prepared to retaliate and to score some yourself. Watkins scoring a penalty. And it was a very well-taken penalty, I might add. I mean, going down the middle never hurts. And it's always very safe and assured. Great penalty from Watkins. And of course, Emiliano Buendia with a very good goal. Players love being in that position that he was in, where they're driving towards the back line of the opposition and they have the ball on the right foot and then they kind of want to shift it to the left side almost in a smooth like La Croqueta style and then all of a sudden shoot at the near post and hope the keeper can't react to it quick enough which is exactly what happened Buendia steps up and he scores a goal in that moment for Villa and makes it 2-0 to the villains and just automatically changes everything for them in that, in that perspective of course Villa again a mixed team have many many inconsistent performances but this game against Everton will be priceless and will get them back in some rhythm finally because they've kind of lost it having lost their last three games before playing against Everton at uh, Goodison Park. For Sean Dyche's men, it's obviously not a great result. Dyche will be extremely, extremely disappointed with this uh, with this result. And I mean, after beating Leeds in their last game, Everton, in a very, very you know, classic Everton win with the captain, Seamus Coleman, scoring the goal of the game in a one nothing win at Goodison Park. To lose the next game at home against Villa is a bit, a bit uh, saddening to see, a bit of a sore sight for Everton eyes. But Overall, great game from Villa, like I said, in, that, in their fixture. And from Everton, it's not that terrible. I think Everton will go on to do big things. They play Arsenal next, so that might be tricky for them. I think Arsenal probably will beat them, especially because they're playing at home and they're going to want revenge Arsenal after they lost against uh, Everton recently. Because every, I mean, Everton beat Arsenal in, in Sean Dash's first game. We're all thinking, okay, Everton are on the rise. They're going to start cooking now, start to be you know, one of the form teams in the league, and then boom, they drop off again. So this might be their little slump period again, but I think Dash should still lead them to glory, I think, at some point. Um, in terms of the other games that took place, we can look at, we can look at, uh, West Ham 4, Nottingham Forest nil. Of course, Nottingham Forest getting absolutely peppered by West Ham. Danny Ying scoring two goals in this game. I mean, just the game where West Ham looked so much more convincing, so much more prepared to play. Like, Nottingham Forest looked like a team that I've never seen the Premier League pitch before in this game. Don't want to violate too much, but that's kind of what it seemed like. And I thought with Ings scoring two goals in three minutes, and of course Rice scoring another goal to make it three goals in five minutes for West Ham, you're only thinking one thing that Nottingham Forest have a lot to work on. And of course, they've been really good recently, actually, Nottingham Forest. So I shouldn't come, shouldn't be too harsh. Steve Cooper going into this game has done wonders, has worked some real magical works of arts, whatever the word is, has done some real... Uh, Special things at Nottingham Forest. Of course, the form has been really mixed, but the draw with, with uh, City and then to beat Leeds two games before that and then lose against Fulham in between isn't terrible from uh, Nottingham Forest perspective. They currently sit in 13th, and I mean, that's perfect for where they want to be. They're not expected to win every game. Their point is for them to stay in the Premier League and do, to kind of continue their status as a Premier League side going forward and become the Nottingham Forest side they were once, you know, in, the, in years past and many, many uh, decades ago. So this game isn't a terrible loss. I mean, for West Ham, this is brilliant. West Ham have been shocking all season. For them to score four goals is a shock to anybody because nobody knew West Ham could do that. But the Denny Ings move seems to have revitalized them as they currently sit in 16th place, two points behind the team that they beat in Nottingham Forest. Of course, Declan Rice scoring a really, really nice goal. That goal was... That's for me and my goal of the two weekends. That was a class, class finish. And you know Rice has that in his locker. We've seen it before, but for him to pull it out of the bag again was really impressive. A very, very well-executed strike. 
not one of those where you often kind of scuff it and you send it towards, you know, the corner flag or it might go up for a goal kick and often, you know, I don't know, off the backside of where the, uh, not the, not the crossbar, but the, the black, uh, the black poles that are behind the net that kind of keep the net together. That's what the rest of the ball hits often. But this goal was very well taken. And of course, Mikel Antonio scoring in the 85th minute to make it 4 0 for the Hammers. Moving on to Steven Talk Soccer European Edition, where we look at the other top leagues in Europe. When we come back from the break. Now to give you guys the quick European edition, what's happening in Europe and the other leagues that are not named the Premier League, starting off with the Serie A. Again, Serie A with Napoli completely cooking them. And I say this every week. I feel like I'm repeating myself. I'm like a broken, broken, broken record. Napoli winning again against Empoli 2-0. They've won the last three games by two by two goals to nil, beating Sassuolo away from home, then beating Frankfurt in the Champions League away from home in the first leg, and then beating Empoli away from home. In at the, in this area, it just I mean this team is unstoppable. They currently sit uh, what is that? That is 18 points clear of the of their second place uh, opposition, which is Inter in this in this case, who lost this weekend themselves against Bologna Inter, which is just a shock if you ask me. But this area has been full of surprises, and Napoli have been by far the best team this season, arguably in the Premier League, in the Premier League in Europe and as well as in this area as well. Um, I think a combination of obviously Osimhen, who's looking like a, a player like Lukaku was maybe a couple of seasons ago for Inter, he looks the exact same way. We've seen the same thing with Kavadas Kelia, who looks like a you know a Messi or not Messi. Let's say I'll give you a better example. Looks like a Alexis Sanchez at at Barcelona. Maybe that's a bit of a buy low, but you guys can let me know if that's if that comparison is fair. Um, but. This Napoli team has been sensational. I think that league is completely finished. We'll move on to a different league where there's actually some competition. In that case, that would be the Bundesliga, which took place and had games taking place between first or second and third at the time, and now I think first and now third in Bayern Munich and Union Berlin. Bayern Munich winning after getting not battered, but getting beaten by Gladbach last week. They step up to win this game and beat Union Berlin at home which will give them huge, huge, huge amounts of confidence as they host PSG in the Champions League later on this week. So this result will be will, will be will mean the world to them to be able to beat their you know close table rivals um, in Union Berlin, who didn't really have the greatest of games. They couldn't really show up that much, and they got destroyed 3-0 in the opening 45 minutes. And from that point, it looked like Bayern were always going to go on and score maybe some more. It finished 3-0 as a whole. I think Union Berlin really did a good, a good job of keeping the door shut after that, after that terrible first half showing. And then for Bayern Munich, like I said, great game from them. They barely had to play their big men. They didn't really have to bring on. They brought the players on, obviously, but they didn't have to, you know, go and go out there and give a huge, huge second half effort. Just more kind of rest the guys they want to start for the game against PSG in midweek. And for Dortmund, they mean they've been in an excellent run of form. Dortmund, they play against Chelsea in midweek themselves. I think they're probably going to win that game, Dortmund, given how brilliant they've been, both in the Bundesliga as well as in the, uh, as well as in, the Champions League. I mean, they play against Leipzig next on this upcoming Friday, which will be a huge game if you think about it. Because Leipzig are currently in fourth place, only four points behind Dortmund. It just tells you how interesting get things get for Bayern Munich, who sit first place now only because of goal difference. They play against Stuttgart next in the Bundesliga away from home before they play against Freiburg and then so on and so forth. So things get really interesting, get really, really tasty there. Um, and then in terms of the La Liga, we saw Almeria, yes, Almeria beating Barcelona. Now, that was a huge result for Almeria, who have, I think they conceded nine goals in the last couple of games or something was like that, something crazy like that. But they got destroyed against uh, some team recently, Almeria. They got absolutely cooked. And then they go home, they go to go play against uh, 
Barcelona at home and they win. They lose 6-2 to Girona in their last game. And the game before that, they lose 3-2 to Real Betis. And then to go at, at home against arguably the biggest team in Spain, arguably the biggest team in football, Barcelona, and beat them one nothing, especially the way they did it. I mean, it was a great goal from El Bilal Toure, and Barca looked like a team shot of ideas. The game against Man United completely threw them out of the water. They look like a team that's muddied at the moment. It just made me laugh, to be honest, because I'm always being told that Barca got to return to being the Barca of old, and I've said this many times, that once Messi left, that club was finished. Um, I don't think they're finished, finished, but you know what I mean. They look finished. And yes, they're still first place in La Liga. Yes, they're probably still going to win the league. I mean, we'll see what happens at Real Madrid. We'll get to them in a second. But for Barca, they play, you know, their next game is against Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey before they play against Valencia at home, who've been quietly on some good form Valencia. So we'll see how that game goes. That game will be interesting, but we expect Barca to win at home. They're very, very good at Camp Nou. They rarely lose there. Uh, for the other team in La Liga, Real Madrid, they drew 1-1 with their Madrid rivals, Atletico Madrid, in the Madrid derby at the Santiago Bernabeu. A very good game of football, very, very interesting game. And I love how Madrid are always so resilient and never, ever say die. They don't know how to lose. That's what they are called. They're, they literally do not know how to lose FC. They don't know what losing is. They don't know how to, what it feels like. They've never even said the word themselves out loud. They always find a way to come back into the game. And did so again. I mean, uh, Jose Maria Jimenez celebrated like the game is over when he scored in the 70th minute from a header. And only seven minutes later, the youngster that came off the bench, the 18-year-old Alvaro Rodriguez, after a great ball from Madrid, who continues to put great delivery in after great delivery, just like he did for Adam Militao in the Champions League. Does the same thing again for Rodriguez, who makes it 1-1 in the game. Could have been more for Madrid. Madrid probably could have snuck a win there quietly, you know, if they kept pushing along. They had a 1.61 expected goals to uh, Atletico Madrid 0.32, just showing you how much more chances Madrid had created with seven big chances, or three big chances created for Madrid and two big chances missed with a total of 18 shots in total of the game and a 91% uh, percentage, sorry, in uh, their accurate passes with 572 passes in total in the game which just shows you again how dominant they were. And despite the scoreline, Madrid always find a way to do some sort of, you know, ruffling up the feathers. Because, of course, another another player gets sent off in that fixture with Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. As uh, who got sent off in the game, was it? It was... It was... Someone got sent off. Angel Correa, yes. <laughs> of course, it happened again. But Madrid finding a way to, you know, to rattle, uh, you could say, to rattle Atletico and uh, go on to get a really good draw. And, of course, the seven points behind Barca. But you think that things will kind of change as the season goes on because Madrid are in great form right now, as they always are. So we'll see how that goes on going forward. And then, of course, in the last thing I want to talk about is the Uber Eats League, or Lionel Messi and PSG show. Of course, the Le Classique happened this weekend with uh, PSG playing away against the uh, Marseille, a big game, a classic fixture in France. Of course, this game was very, very one-sided. PSG were definitely the the more intimidating and the more effective and the more just the better team on the day. And in general, they are the better team. And they show that in this game, Mbappe and Messi combining to score all three goals. I mean, Mbappe getting set up from a beautiful pass from Messi. Really, really an absolutely brilliant ball for Messi. That little chip over the top to make it 3-0 for PSG in the second half. And then for Bar- uh, for Marseille, it was just a game to forget, really. And I think for Tudor, who looked like he couldn't believe what he was seeing on the sideline, uh, Marseille will hope to just brush themselves off and get back ready for their next game against NSC FC, which is a team, some another you know, quite a quietly local team in France in the Coupe de France, before they play against Rennes in the uh, in Ligue 1 in the, on Sunday in the, in the league. Um, that's the last thing I need to mention. Nothing else to say in terms of other top, other top five leagues in in Europe. 
uh, of course, you know, thank you guys for listening as always. It's been your, I have been your gracious host, Stephen the Don. I'll be back again as always. Of course, this is the home of the most controversial football opinions and the home of elite football knowledge. I'll be back again as always to cover much more. There's going to be more content coming out soon. That's not just reviews, I promise. But in the meantime, please make sure to download, to follow, and to subscribe to the Stephen Talk Soccer podcast. It would mean the absolute world to me. Like I said, I've been all over the place, quite busy recently. But this, of course, the podcast will never die. I'm still going to continue to do this. Uh, hopefully on a more regular basis, once the semester finishes, I'll be able to really tap in and start doing some real uh, footy uh, content and stuff that really pushes this podcast along. But until then, con- continue to enjoy the ride and to strap and enjoying these little previews, reviews, whatever the word is. More content coming out on TikTok. Of course, Chelsea Therapy will be back again, but we'll do some more other other teams. So not just Chelsea nonsense, because who likes talking about Chelsea all the time? That team is dead. Let's be real. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. I'll be back again very, very soon. And deuces for now, ladies and gentlemen. Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.